hello everyone listening wherever you're listening thanks for tuning in to the audibles with jason scarborough podcast i am your host jason scarborough hope you guys are doing well out there as we are kicking off kind of a new endeavor here so i appreciate you tuning in and wherever you're listening amazon music itunes google play spotify just a variety of places i think we're on audible kind of neat audibles on audible a couple other places tune in radio stitcher just a variety of places that we're on so wherever you're listening i appreciate it and appreciate you tuning in so yeah we wanted to do something different of course audibles the tv show uh, many of you are familiar with that if you're not familiar with it uh, i host a tv show here in mississippi that reaches into parts of alabama arkansas louisiana and tennessee and uh, we're on uh, somewhere around the neighborhood between eight and ten TV stations, uh, the majority of those obviously in Mississippi. And the TV show is based on me sitting down and conducting a long-form interview with people. I guess the, the easiest way to say is people who help shape our culture in Mississippi and the Deep South. So it goes from athletes to authors, entertainers to innovators, uh, restaurateurs. Uh, we've interviewed... You know, it, it is heavy sports. It is heavy sports because that is my background. That's where I cut my teeth. You know, covering high school football, covering high school athletics, doing play-by-play for a number of years, covering college athletics. And so that is where a lot of these contacts that are made over the years, that's where they came from. So a lot of the folks that you see on the TV show and you're going to hear in this podcast, you're going to hear their story. It came from years of just building relationships and then being able to go back down the road and ask them to sit down and have a conversation with me. There's a lot of folks that I didn't know until the day that we sat down to do the interview. I'd never met them before. So you got to tear down those walls, so to speak. You got to build that rapport real quick, you know, with just being personable, just relating to someone. And, you know, I was told it's a gift to relate to someone in that short amount of time. So you're going to hear behind the scenes commentary on all the interviews. I'll give you some tidbits of kind of where we shot and how we shot it, what went on that day, why this ended up that way, why I was wearing this, why I wasn't wearing that, that kind of thing. So you'll hear a little bit, you know, that you haven't heard before, uh, kind of behind the scenes of of the TV show. So we're going to release a couple of podcast episodes uh, every week to coincide with the season four uh, premiere or the season four airing of the TV show Audibles with Jason Scarborough. So we'll go back to the order that the TV episodes have aired in to date. And episode one in September of 21 was with Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin. Yeah, just so you know, I had never met Lane Kiffin before. Didn't know him, didn't know him personally, had never met him in any capacity whatsoever. So I didn't know what to expect because I'd never met him. You know, you see the stuff he puts on Twitter and social media, you know, kind of the back and forth he has sometimes with folks in the press conferences, but I I didn't know Lane Kiffin, so I didn't know what to expect. And to be honest, we kind of had to fight for this interview. Maybe I shouldn't use the word fight. Lane just doesn't typically grant these sort of interviews. I mean, you can get on YouTube or Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever the search engine you use, and you can search for Lane Kiffin interview, and there's just not a whole lot out there past maybe five minutes. 
maybe 10 minutes and that's it. You know, 30, 40 minutes, you're pushing it. So we had to really, really, you know, sell it, plead for it, uh, and work for it is probably the best way to put it. So thankful to Kyle Campbell, uh, the SID at Ole Miss, and then, of course, Keith Carter, the athletic director at Ole Miss, uh, for making it happen. So here's the other thing. It was pouring the night before. I mean, it was raining so hard. And, and if I remember right, it had been raining just buckets for weeks up there in the Oxford area, Lafayette County, surrounding areas. They had had some flooding. Uh, it was just it was crazy type rain. And the morning of the interview, it was raining. Uh, the night before, it was storming. And so the place that I went up to stay the night before because I wanted to be, you know, wanted to be there, wanted to be fresh, wanted to be ready to go. And a storm woke me up the night before, like in the middle of the night, and I struggled to go back to sleep. So the storming that night, struggled going back to sleep in the middle of the night. And the place I stay at, Cart Barn Inn, a little shout out to the folks there at Cart Barn, uh, it's about 20 minutes now, maybe closer to 30 minutes south of Oxford. And here's the other thing. I get up the next morning and I've got, you know, I got my Jordans ready uh, that I'm going to wear as my sneakers, as my shoes. I got a nice uh, dark dress shirt I'm going to wear. It's a bed and breakfast where I stay. So folks are in the common area having coffee and breakfast and whatnot. So I'm getting ready to leave and a gentleman, God bless him. He, he didn't mean to, but we, we kind of bump. And coffee goes all over the shirt. So I'm like, what in the world do I have in the suitcase that I can go to? And I made the mistake of not taking a backup shirt. You always take a backup shirt to anything like this, to any video shoot, particularly when you're out of town, obviously. You want to take a backup shirt. I did not. So if you've seen the Lane Kiffin interview, and by the way, you can watch full interviews of any of these shows by going to our YouTube channel, spiritmedianetwork.com. There's playlists there for audibles uh, every season we've had so far. There's a season four playlist that's that, that's just been started there for the season that uh, we just premiered. So, yeah, so I had to put on like this, looks like a t-shirt from Gap or something. So that's why I was wearing that in the Lane Kiffin interview. W- wanted to wear a nice dress shirt, but yeah, it didn't work out. So it's pouring rain the morning of the interview, we're doing the interview, obviously at Ole Miss, in the Manning room, which was awesome. So the crew that I was shooting it with was Warren Brothers, Warren Brothers Media, Zane Warren, Zach Warren, had never met them before, didn't know them, had never worked with them. So I was putting a ton of faith in these guys because I'd gotten into a little bit of a pinch and needed someone. The person that I normally would use in that situation at the time had some sort of emergency or something. I I can't really remember. So Chris Bragg, who has, you'll hear from him later on in in other episodes, because he he shot a ton of episodes for us when we started Audibles. Uh, He he did it all. He he did all the cameras, uh, all the wiring, all the lighting, everything. So he recommended the Warren brothers. So they drove up the morning of. I meet them outside of the Manning complex. So had talked to him, obviously, a couple of days before. They said they could do it. We walk inside, go into the Manning room, which is awesome. It had some of the greatest moments in Ole Miss football history uh, featured in this room. And obviously the Manning room, I mean, you see all kinds of stuff from Archie and Eli. I think they had the, the arm brace 
or cast or whatever it was that Archie Manning wore in a game when he was injured and he still played. They've got that in there in a case. Uh, all sorts of great moments featured in this room. So uh, Zane and Zach are setting up. You know, I get asked often, how much do you prep, prepare for, for these interviews? And it really depends on the person, to be honest with you. You know, if it's someone like Lane, there's not a ton of content out there as far as other interviews that he's done that you can draw from. So you're really having to go off of press conferences, articles, really just tidbits of information and, and really just kind of scrunch it all together and, and squeeze what you can from that. But typically, you know, my prep method, I'll read as much as I can on someone. I'll take notes off of it. I'll find videos on YouTube, wherever, and I'll take notes off that. And again, Lane was kind of hard because he just doesn't do interviews like this typically. So you're trying to find any audio or video uh, that can give you some good info from the past and any really anything that, that you can use for the present. We get set up. Lane is late. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, it, you know, we're sitting in there. I think they were finishing up some sort of football uh, staff meeting or something. So he walks in. If you haven't seen the interview, he's got on a hoodie, the classic visor, some gym shorts and sneakers. And he, he is as relaxed as relaxed can be. So we start the interview and we're off and running. First question, he immediately corrects me on some of the research. So apparently, so I had gotten all the info, like the bio from Ole Miss that they sent me and that was already out there. I think Wikipedia, you know, I know some folks don't really use that for anything, um, but you can pull some stuff from there. Uh, I, I had just pulled info from a variety of places. A lot of it I got from the university. A lot of it I didn't. So he immediately corrects me about the order of some of the places that he lived. And I said, well, okay. So I just said, all right, we can start over. So what I did is I just filed that away. And so I'll just come back. And based on what he just told me, I'll just repackage that as a question a couple questions later. And that's that's what I did. And I remember after the interview, Zane Warren, uh, he told me, he said, man, I would have just quit after that because I'd have been so shook that I'd have just been like, oh, okay, I I suck at this. I'm 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 done. And I'm like, nah, you gotta keep rolling. And you you know, you do it enough, you're just like, look, we're just you can't let that stuff rattle you because you're gonna have stuff during these interview tapings, you're gonna have stuff that comes up. It doesn't happen often, but you will have stuff that happens. Maybe it's something that they don't want to talk about. And and usually I'll I'll preface that with the guest before we before we start the interview. I'll say, Hey, is there Here's a couple of things that I was going to ask about, but if you don't want me to ask about it, I won't. They don't get to look at the questions before we start. I don't ever do that. I don't send any questions to anyone. I don't do any of that. You know, they, they're answering the questions um, right there on the spot. So they don't get to look at the questions. I don't send a document to, to anyone, but I will ask about certain things that I think might be maybe, maybe touchy. It, they may not want to talk about it. So that happens. But in this case, it was just having the chronological order of a couple of things needing to be corrected. No big deal. So if you watch the interview and you'll hear it uh, here in a minute, uh, we're going to jump right into letting you guys hear the interview with Lane. He loosens up, you know, as we go throughout the interview, I think after he figured out that I wasn't out to get him or anything like that, or try to have a gotcha moment with him or anything like that. So just try to tell his story, handing him the brush to paint the picture. All I did was supply the paint and the brush. That's it. And just trying to 
let him kind of tell his story in his own words. So he was super cool afterwards, signed our stuff, took pictures, and and that was it. So a pretty cool moment, and uh, he was really cool about everything. Like I said, really loosened up towards the end of the interview once he figured out, hey, this guy's not trying to do anything nefarious here. He's not trying to get over on me or anything. He just He's just doing the interview. So here we go. Let's jump right into it without further ado. Here's Lane Kiffin from episode one, TV episode one in September of 21. Lane Kiffin here on Audibles with Jason Scarborough, the podcast. So how would you describe your family growing up? Uh, we moved all over, you know, son of a football coach. Um, that everything revolved around football. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of all you knew. That's what seasons were. That's what schedules were. That's what weekends were. Um you know, so kind of a preview to the rest of my life, I guess. You guys moved around a lot in the in the early part of your life. Was that was it hard for you to adjust to, to moving around so much, or how did you deal with that? I think it became the norm. Um, it's just what you did. So it's all we knew. You know, I look back and I had, like Minnesota, where I went to high school. I had friends that never moved from the same exact house, mm-hmm. you know, their entire life. Parents still live in that house, and now they live down the street, you know, in their 40s. So um, it was a very different life, and that people think it's crazy when I tell it or when I was going through it, but I just didn't know any different. How would you describe yourself as a child? It's a harder question than most of these things. Um I don't know, I think just moving all over the place, I got used to it, easy to make friends and um, kind of come a chameleon to different areas that you go because you got to fit in, you know, um, sports helps that. I always said that my sister was harder because you move and, and girls are more clicky anyway, but you know, you may have summer baseball or something before fall school even starts, so you, you by the time you go to school you've met some people. Was there something not involving sports when you were young that maybe you wanted to be when, when you grew up, something maybe not involving sports? I kind of knew the coaching thing. Um, my mom always says a lawyer um, just because she says that I argue everything, but <laughs> I don't think I do that as much anymore. That was more when I was younger <laughs> or a younger coach. I can see you being a lawyer. I don't Maybe not. so anymore. I've calmed down. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I was going to ask because of who your dad was. So you always knew you were going to be a coach in some shape or form. So you knew that early. I did. Um, I just remember being young. And, I mean, everybody wants to play in the NFL, so I thought it was cool seeing quarterbacks and stuff. But I felt like while my buddies were watching the players more obsessed with becoming one of them, I was watching the coaches and watching – it was really intriguing me that a head coach could walk the sidelines, these guys in pads and uniforms, all this, but yet he can affect an outcome of a game by his decisions mm-hmm. and his preparation, I thought was really kind of intriguing. Was it always football growing up as a child? Was there any other sport that, that intrigued you or, or, or captivated you? Basketball and baseball, but it was football more just because I was, I was around it all the time. Mm-hmm. So what were the high school years like for a young Lane Kiffin? What was high school like for you? Um, I moved for ninth grade to Long Island, New York when he was with the Jets, and then I moved to Minnesota for the last three years of high school. Um, it was good. 
it's a good time, really good people in Minnesota. Um, you know, some of my best friends um, from high school there. So um, it was a really good time. Fresno State, you attend Fresno State, play quarterback under under Pat Hill. So what was the college experience like for you as a, as a college quarterback? It was good because I was already around good coaches. Like I said, Pat Hill ended up being the head coach, Jeff Tedford was my coach, the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, so I dealt with him all the time. And I always said, you know, you get a head start on coaching by who your coaches are when you play. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't, if you have really good coaches, you get a great head start because you're in there listening for years. So I was able to get a head start and, um, you know, didn't play as much as I wanted. And so I was backing up two pretty good players. Um, Derek Carr was first pick of the draft, and Billy Volek was the other quarterback that played, I don't know, 12 years or something in the NFL. Um, so that kind of got my coaching career started early. It seems like maybe that, do you think that kind of propels you, kind of started preparing you for coaching because you were able to start kind of observing more and kind of start thinking forward a little bit? Yeah, maybe? it definitely did. I think, you know, everything good is bad and vice versa, and so things are blessing sometimes. Like, I had so many buddies that tried to hang on to football, you know, and went and played in the XFL back then or Arena League or something or kept getting tryouts and, you know, spent some years, would spend years of lives trying to chase that dream and then they go, okay, now I want to start coaching, you know, and they're behind and so that ended up being a blessing, being able to start early and, you know, while these other guys were trying to get GA jobs, I was already a full-time coach. You started as a uh, student assistant at Fresno State from 97 to 98. You spent some time as a defensive quality control assistant under Tom Coughlin while he was at Jacksonville. So Pat Hill, Tom Coughlin, right off the bat, uh, you coached under some pretty big names. What lessons did you learn in those early years as an assistant coach that you still maybe put in practice today as a head coach? Well, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars experience was awesome. I'm um, really fortunate to have that with Tom, I was actually on defense. Tom Coughlin's the head coach, and Dom Capers was the defensive coordinator mm -hmm. that I worked directly with. So, two extremely organized, detailed guys, great discipline. Um, so, that was a great start. So, the break, arguably, of your career at that point, 2001, you're hired at USC as a tight ends coach. Eventually, your ascension leads to the passing game coordinator in 2004, then the offensive coordinator in 2005. Your coaching career has been well documented since that point. When you look back at those experiences, looking in the rearview mirror, what lessons did you learn from, from those experiences? I just think, I can't speak for others, but myself, like you think you know everything when you're young. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when you're having that much success and you're around that much success, you're around Heisman winners and national championships. Um, you know, so I think you learn to keep going and I think did a good job at that like of okay hey we don't have it all figured out you know even though you start to think you do and so I just think being around highly successful coaches great program Pete Carroll is your head coach it makes you not be able to just you know feel good about what was done and, and sit there and take an off season you know not doing anything so um, I look back to those times as a great growth process and great learning. Speaking of that, before you get hired at Alabama, I read in an article you said, and just when I needed him, God answered in a big way. I don't know if God's a big sports fan, but I do know this. He loves a good comeback. That's a great quote. And man, did he answer, because you end up as the office of coordinator at Alabama in 2014. So under Nick Saban, what were those early conversations like with, with Coach Saban? Well, he was in a 
good place for change, which is not hard for anybody, especially him. Um, I mean, when has he ever lost two games in a row? I don't know if it's happened. Like, besides that, he had just lost the Iron Bowl and then um, like the Sugar Bowl to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And he just had felt like this thing needs to change. Um, he said, like, a fancy car. I can't remember what type of car he said. You know, um, going off a cliff, like, talking about the old offense. And that there needed to be a change because people were passing it up. And so, you know, I get a lot of credit for that. But, you know, like, that I pushed him to do it. It was, it was his idea. During the time at Alabama, you win a national championship with Coach Saban, three straight SEC championships. You coach another Heisman Trophy winner in Derrick Henry. The national title win over Clemson was 10 years to the day after the loss to Texas in the title game while you were at USC. You can't write that any better if you tried to write that in a movie. So how often do you reflect on that moment and your comeback story basically being written right before your eyes? I forgot about the 10 years to the day. Um, I don't know how I knew that. That that morning, I want to say somebody sent me that or figured that out. Because I think I tweeted about it. But um, what's really crazy is because that game haunted me forever because the fourth down stop when Texas stops us at USC, you know, a bunch of points scored, 538 yards or something like that, you know, and, and we still lost. But it was always like, okay, that fourth down and they stopped us, you know, and then Vince Young goes down. Ten years later to that day, I started to feel the same way in the game. Like all of a sudden we could not, sh- we couldn't stop Deshaun Watson, and it felt kind of like because I remember the Texas feeling like we ran into Superman that day and we didn't have any kryptonite, you know. So I started to feel that way in that game, and luckily it turned and uh, we were able to win it. But it was kind of eerie how similar it was ten days, ten years later to that day. Does that put pressure on you as as an OC going back to the Texas USC game because you feel like you have to outscore? Texas, if you have any shots, you got to keep bringing it. Same thing in that game you're talking about with Alabama. Did you feel that pressure as an OC? Like, we, we kind of have to outscore these guys. We're going to have to keep pace in order to, to win this game. Did you feel that pressure? Yeah, but I mean, you don't really, I mean, for the most part, you're trying to score all the time anyway. So yeah. um, I don't think that that's that big a deal. Well, that seems like a good place to break as you listen to Lane Kiffin here on Audibles with Jason Scarborough, the podcast. Thanks for joining us wherever you're listening. It's a variety of places that you're probably listening to us from. There's some places out there I didn't even even know that we were on, but uh, thankful for all the platforms that we're able to be on and thankful for you guys joining us for the first episode of this podcast. And again, the idea was just to let folks have access to these interviews by way of audio device. You know, folks are cutting grass or on the treadmill. They get on long road trips, whatever the case is. And they just, you know, they want to put the phone in their pocket, listen to a podcast. So episode one of Audibles with Jason Scarborough, the podcast. So when we went to record the Lane Kiffin interview, you got to know that, like I said earlier in the show, Lane doesn't grant these types of interviews. He just doesn't. He doesn't do long-form interviews, so they had us set up in the Manning room at Ole Miss right there in the Manning facility right outside of Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, the football stadium, and it was pouring down rain that day. It was storming. 
I had actually stayed there the night before at Cart Barn Inn, the nearby bed and breakfast that I stay at when I go to Oxford. And I remember it was it had been raining just buckets up there for weeks. So I stayed the night and the gentleman that now joins us had actually driven up with his brother. They are co-owners, they're brothers and co-owners of Warren Brothers Media. He's Zane Warren joining us on the KDMC guest line. So I had never met you guys before that morning. Like we met right outside the Manning facility, walked in and it was like, hey, good to meet y'all. Let's go tape Lane Kiffin. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was exactly it. (laughs) I mean, it was pretty crazy getting to meet you the very first time and uh, getting to meet Lane Kiffin. So it was a, it was a great day uh, and experience I'll never forget for sure. Yeah. It was crazy because I had talked to your brother initially. That was the one that I had talked to and I was referred to you guys by our mutual friend, Chris Bragg. Of course, Chris had worked on Audible's, uh, I guess, the first season that we put out a digital season before it hit TV. He had referred me to you guys, goes to church with you guys, knew you guys well. Or I can't remember the connection. Does he go to church with you guys? Is that right? Yeah, he goes to church with us here in Brandon. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he had referred me to you guys, and we're standing outside, and it's pouring down. You know, I think the rain has slacked up long enough for us to walk inside. And we get in there, and it's just it's a rainy, gloomy day. And I don't know, it was just, it was kind of weird because Lane is just different. That's probably the, people have asked me, I don't know if they've asked you guys, you know, what's he like? Is he, is he this? Is he that? Lane is just different. It was a very, very different interview than you guys had shot other interviews for me in the past. Not before the Lane Kiffin interview, that was the first one, but you guys obviously did some, some subsequent video shoots, but that one was different because Lane is just, he's a, he's a different dude. Is that kind of a, how did you view his presence and just kind of his demeanor that day? I mean, that's the way I typically describe him when people ask or when we <laughs> tell people that we've met him is that he's just a different guy. You know, you see him on the sidelines at games and you see him on TV, different interviews and just watching him coach. And, you know, you, you expect one thing in your mind and then you meet him and you're like, oh, it's not really what I expected. <laughs> and he's not, he's not, he's not rude or mean or anything that, or anything like that. He's just a different guy. I don't know how to put it. He's quiet and kind of laid back and reserved. Um, but yeah, that's really how I describe him to most people. So it really wasn't how I expected it to go. And I will say, Jason, you put a lot of faith in us that day. Um, you know, having never met us and just letting us come up to Oxford, you know, you, you didn't know what you were getting. <laughs> Well, it's worked out pretty well since then because, of course, you you do a lot of – if you guys are watching Audibles this season or, or have watched it in the last couple of seasons on TV, there are a lot of video elements and, and opens and different things that, that you see during the course of the show that Zane has actually put together. So the relationship has turned into being, at least for me, uh, a very fruitful, you know, prosperous relationship. But – yeah, I mean, you guys came referred from uh, someone that I trust. You know, Chris Bragg said, hey, they, these guys are good. You'll be happy with them. And I'm like, okay, so let, let's roll with it. I do remember something you said to me. I think it was after the interview we were walking out because the interview kind of got off to a, an interesting start. Lane actually stopped me and said, well, wait a minute, <laughs> go back. I actually lived here before here, and then I moved here before there. And I, I had his bio from Ole Miss that they had sent me from, uh, you know, Wikipedia, just online. I had just gotten a lot of different, a lot of different research, a lot of different sources. So I was going by the pieces of info that I had. 
So apparently some of this info was was not lined up chronologically correct. And so he stopped me and said, wait, go back. I said, okay, we'll we'll just start over. And I remember after the interview, I think it was you that said, man, I'd have just been like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. That, that'd have thrown me off completely. (laughs) Something, did I have that right? Something to that effect. Yeah. I mean, you rolled with it like a champ for sure. I mean, you know, if I was interviewing Lane Kiffin and it was me preparing and I get something wrong, I'd be like, well, I'm too embarrassed to keep going now. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things you get so used to it, though. You're just like, you know, you're in the moment. And I think that's probably the case with you guys, and I wanted to ask you that. I know for me, you know, I'm the one in front of the camera. You guys are the ones behind the camera, behind all the all the gear, all the equipment, all the lights and everything. At least for me, once you get into the mode, you kind of forget who it is. Does that sound kind of, kind of goofy? Yeah. Like for me, at least, I'm like, hey, I'm just going by the questions and – you know, you don't for, you don't think, oh, it's Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach or Keith Carter or you know Mike Bianco or or whoever. You, you don't think about it. You just keep rolling with it. You don't, and you just like you said, you just kind of fall into muscle memory, I guess. You set up and you just roll with everything, and it turns out how it turns out. You kind of seems like you kind of black out in the middle of it, and you get done, and you're like, I don't remember anything that just happened. Where does that rank for you guys in terms of like? completely out of the blue random video shoots is is that up there in the top five for you guys just to get a call and be like hey we're recording lane kiffin the next day like what where does that rank for you guys in terms of off the wall out of left field request for for any kind of services you guys provide is, is that up there that's number one really <laughs> without a doubt that's number one when we first started this man i never would have guessed that we would have interviewed and met the people that we did, but especially Lane Kiffin. Because, you know, I mean, we've had many conversations. Zach and I are big Ole Miss fans growing up that way. So getting to meet Lane Kiffin and set up our equipment in the Manning room and just be behind the scenes of all that was just incredible. And, you know, we both work full-time jobs aside from our media business. So we got that call or we talked to you on Tuesday, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. You're like, hey, I need somebody on Thursday. And I told my boss, I was like, look, man, I get to go view, uh, I get to go interview Lane Kiffin and film Lane Kiffin on Thursday, so I'm not going to be here. Like, just heads <laughs> up. I'm not, I'm not missing this opportunity, <laughs> so we're going to have to find some coverage. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, easily, that's like number one. Yeah, it worked out really, really well. And kudos to your boss for understanding, by the way. Uh, just being like, yeah, man, go ahead. Do your thing. But, oh, absolutely. Well, it works out. He's an Ole Miss fan, too. Well, so. there, there you go. There you go. And – you know, at least for me, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but they told us, they said, look, you got you got about 30 to 40 minutes here. And typically, when I sit down with someone, I when they ask, so how long do you need them for? I'm like, eh, about 45 minutes to an hour. You know, we should be wrapped in 45 minutes or so. And they were like, look, 30 to 40 minutes tops. And I'm like, oof, okay, let's, uh, we're going to have to hustle here. So you guys eventually did some other video shoots for me. And obviously, you know, you saw how those go, how they typically go. So I don't know if it, if it flew by for you guys that day, but it, it certainly did for me. Cause I'm, I'm accustomed to going to at least another 15, 20, 30 minutes. And, you know, I think we got, I think it was like 28 minutes of content, maybe. Uh, yeah. I think told. after we edited it down, it was about 28 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so from from a standpoint of where you're trying to fill an hour for TV, that doesn't that doesn't give you a whole lot to to work with. But we made it work, thankfully. The TV stations were understanding and everything. But 
you know, you've been involved with so much that we do with the show and everything, primarily the show. Did you envision or ever see our relationship, our working relationship and in, in friendship turning into what it did after that day? Because, I mean, like I said, there's so many video elements and things that you'll see on the show, uh, other places, but primarily on the show that you, you did it. You produced it. You created it. Did you ever think that after that video shoot that day that it was going to continue to morph into what it what it has? No, not really. I mean, we knew that we wanted to continue a good relationship with you because you have a lot of connections, obviously. You're the Jason Scarborough, right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no, we had no idea. And, uh, you know, we're, we're super glad. We're super thankful that um, it has turned into what it has. You know, we've had tons of good conversations, tons of good cigars. Um, mm-hmm. so it's turned into something, uh, really something that we enjoy and really look forward to working with you. So. Yeah, it was a fun day, and I'm glad you guys were able to to come up there that day and, you know, help me out in a pinch because I was in a pinch. I really was, and and the kid, as we call Chris Bragg, said, I got some guys for you. They're perfect, and uh, could have worked out better. I mean, every time we get to work with you guys, it's it's a complete uh, – I've told you before, I, I know what I'm getting, and I'm getting the absolute best. I mean, you guys give it your all whenever you do a video shoot, whenever you're editing, whenever you're putting together a production piece – Whatever it is, you guys absolutely hit it out of the park. So, at least from our standpoint, we've been, I have been really pleased uh, with the relationship. And we're just going to keep trucking on along, man. So, go ahead and give out y'all's contact info because y'all do a little bit of everything at Warren Brothers Media. Go ahead and give out your contact info if folks want to reach out to you. Absolutely. You can reach us at uh, email at warrenbrothersmedia2 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at Warren Brothers Media, and we also have a website, warrenbrothersmedia.com. You can reach out to us there. We do weddings. We do uh, video production. Any, anything that you can think of, we can usually help you with. So please feel free to reach out to us, and we'd be glad to help you with anything you've got going on for sure. Hey, look, they're, they're, you see a lot of their stuff on TV, folks, with what we do with Audible's, the TV show. So uh, if it's good enough for TV, it'll be good enough for you, I promise you, and you won't be disappointed. So until next time, Zane, man, I sure appreciate it. And uh, what a fun day that was. And uh, glad it's turned into what it's turned into. Absolutely, man. Thanks, Jason, for having me on. He's Zane Warren joining us here on the KDMC Guest Line. We're going to get back to the interview now with Lane Kiffin. I know that's what you guys want to hear, Audible's with Jason Scarborough, the podcast. Let's get back to that interview with Lane Kiffin. 2017, you take the job at Florida Atlantic. This is an experience you call one of the most rewarding experiences in your life and your coaching career. You had a, a spiritual rebirth and renewed faith in God. So I'll ask you, what does faith mean to you? Well, I think that puts a lot in perspective and you don't get defined anymore by your job, which I was for so long. Like, that's all you did. You wake up, you went to bed all day, was your job. And so if you lost the LA Times or Sports Center or whatever, you're going to you know, that defines you, you know, you lose or win, you know, what people think and everyone you walk by, it's hard not to be a head coach at a major place and start to get defined by your job because it's how people treat you. It's what they say to you. You know, the same guy talks to you different on the set on the Sunday morning when you see him after a win versus a loss. <laughs> so I think in faith that, you know, you realize, okay, yeah, this is important, but this is secondary. And I used to have an assistant coach that used to, after losses, not be that down. We were at USC. Sarkeesian, I used to always, they don't like, what, you can't even tell whether you won or lost. He's like, 
you know, God's plan, and we kind of made fun of him at the time. Like, okay, well, it wasn't God's plan to throw the interception. I mean, <laughs> but he was on to something, and, um, you know, you just you get a different perspective. John Gordon is somebody that's really important to you in that renewed faith. Why? Just one of those God moments. Um, I'd never met him mm -hmm. and got a message all of a sudden he wanted to come see me. I didn't even know he was driving himself from Jacksonville because he said God told him to come meet me. And it was very, we just started talking for a long meeting. It was just kind of, it was really crazy because there was no other reason. It wasn't he was trying to speak or wasn't someone else telling us to meet. Um, just God moment. All right, so FAU turned things around, two conference USA championships, two 11-win seasons. Going through what you'd been through and then having the time under Nick Saban at Alabama, what is it that immediately comes to your mind when you reflect on your time in Boca Raton? The kids. Um, <clears throat> the fact that they, like the seniors, had never won more than three games in a year. And then to come in, win 11 games, you know, I think nine in a row to finish and bowl game, Conference USA Championship. Like it was like the locker room was like them winning a Super Bowl or a playoff run. And I realized it was because many of those kids knew they weren't playing in the NFL. Mm -hmm. The other place that I coached that they all think they're playing in the NFL. So really, a lot of them, that's really their biggest goal, not the team. And so when you got around it, you got to, I said in a different interview, it's kind of like the purest form of football. It's like when people say they go back to high school and watch kids play in high school, you know, high school Friday night. I, I, I think that I know that, that kind of happened to me. And to see that because I'd only been at big places and to see that was really cool to see. And um, that by far is the best memory there. Do you think that reinvigorated you even more at that point? That gave you like a like a like a different kind of fire at that point, maybe. Yeah, I think it got me out of myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so much before was coaching on what it gave me, what the people said about me. I beat that coach, you know, um, as opposed to no, this is about the players, and I was about the players as far as their development to get them to the NFL. Hey, I'll. I'll show you how you get to the NFL. We'll get you drafted really high, you know. Um, but just more the day in and day out with them and their development and, you know, their life journey. So then the conversations begin with Ole Miss. So I'm curious, what was it about the Ole Miss job that was so attractive to you to leave a place that had meant so much to you? You had experienced this coaching rebirth, this spiritual rebirth, the purest form of football. What was it that was attractive about Ole Miss? Well, the highest level part, I, I still like, it was really only a few times a year and it would be especially like the national championship beyond. I remember that year, I think it's like Kirby and Coach Saban, like, I'm just like, God, like that, like just that, that playing field and you know, the, the highest level, even though the locker room was so quiet, or just the like going into the stadium and you know those type of games um, was a draw. 
Keith Carter is one of the nicest guys that, that you'll ever meet, but he's also super competitive. All you got to do is watch his old basketball highlights when he played here at Ole Miss to, to find out. What was your first impression of, of Keith when you met Keith? Uh, he wanted to win. He was energetic. Um, it wasn't like, okay, hey, make this higher so, you know, the fans are excited or whatever. Like, hey, I want to really do this thing right. I want to build new facilities. I want to have a championship program, um, which is extremely important. You know, you're not going to win for an extended amount of time without an athletic director in a program that's committed to doing the other things, you know, besides just game day. Do you feel that with Keith being a, he was a student athlete here at Ole Miss, do you think that helps him as an athletic director because he can, he can relate to been there, done that? Do you think that helps him opposed to maybe someone who hasn't been a student athlete? Sure, player relations and um, street cred with them. Yeah. You know, when they come in, they see his banner up there, you know, um, in the basketball arena. You know, I think that goes a long ways. Your dad got to be on staff with you at FAU, and, and now he's around here at Ole Miss. How cool is that to not just have a great defensive mind, a great football mind around to, to lean on for advice and chop it up with, but, I mean, it's your dad. I mean, how, how cool is that to have him around? It's awesome. I mean, everybody wants their dad for the most part, but the fact that, like, he does still motivate coaches, players, like, and just see them pop into his office, and he's just done it for so long. Um, I kind of call him like a coaching angel. He really just kind of touches people. <laughs> um, it's really awesome. You've coached with some really big, big names and some great minds. Your dad, Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, Pat Hill, just to name a few. Who would you say has had the biggest impact on your coaching career? It'll be tough not to see your dad because that's a long time you're growing mm -hmm. up with it. And so that starts you. From coaches that you worked under, Pete Carroll, because that was the longest six years with him as an assistant. But, I mean, then you have Coach Saban for three. I mean, how many people, here's two Hall of Fame coaches, two of the best ever, and you get to work for them as assistants for them and not offensive coordinators for them and they're defensive guys. I mean, I don't know how you – I mean, I guess the same thing happened for Sargisian, but so there's two of us that get, get to do that. Criticism is part of any job. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. How do you deal with criticism? I think you get numb to it. I, I don't know. I think I have, and you just know it's part of it, and you don't try to please people that you can't control, other fan bases, media. Like, I get these things written all the time, and I used you know, maybe they bothered me years ago, whatever. And I was like, first off, some media guys writing that, that didn't come here and cover us, didn't come here and interview me, and then is making this opinion on you. Not just, oh, hey, he blew this call. Mm -hmm. Who cares about that? But writing something, an opinion on you, like who you are as a person, can't control it. Worry about the players, the players and coaches that work with and what they say and what they feel, you know, and then people that cover you daily how they feel okay so I gotta ask when you're not coaching and recruiting and being a dad what is it that you do just to wind down just to chill out what does Lane Kiffin do just to to loosen up and, and just chill out for a little bit it used to be the boat in Boca <laughs> because it was in the backyard yeah. I still have the house so um, I do that but it's just not near as often obviously because <laughs> I got to get down there um, there's just not a lot of time but I do enjoy that and on the ocean and fishing.
So if I get in the car or, or your truck with you, what are I we listening? I promise you, I don't drive a truck. What, what are we listening to? What, what are we listening to? What, what's on the the presets? Um, I don't do presets anymore. No. Um, why? Well, that's kind of the truck and the radio thing. Like <laughs> now, your phone plays the music. You have playlists and stuff. So um, that's what you do. You're a playlist guy. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember the last time I would know to push a button for a radio station or something. Oh, I don't know. I'll I'll shock you. Uh, Taylor <laughs> Swift would probably be on there. Taylor Swift. That really. That'll shock you. Er, early Taylor Swift or current Taylor current. Swift? Current? Yeah. Okay. Well, I might get impatient with songs that I've heard a million times. So. <laughs> See, my next question was going to be, like what I is your... Watch, I don't want to watch a movie I've seen before. <laughs> my next question was going to be, what's your guilty pleasure music? And I think you kind of just answered it. Or is there, is there one in addition to Taylor Swift? Yeah, you'll probably think this is, this is even crazier. Probably Miley Cyrus. Okay. But that goes back to Paul Feinbaum calling me my, Miley Cyrus, so that's what that started. <laughs> Did that, so that sparked you wanting to check out Miley Cyrus? Yeah. And I still try to prove to Paul, <laughs> calling me Miley Cyrus in college football is really not a put down. Miley Cyrus is really good, so it's still going. Yeah, I love how you called him out on that, by the way. That, yeah. that was gold. So what is one thing that you would tell anyone who wants to go into coaching to be either the next Lane Kiffin or the next whoever? Like, what would be your message to them? Don't be the next Lane Kiffin. That's a <laughs> hard, that's a hard road. Um, I think enjoy it, uh, you know, because you don't know how long it's going to last, especially you get in runs at places and you think like, oh, especially if you're young, oh, this is how it's going to be all the time. No, it's not. And it's, I'm guessing, one of the few professions that you're going to get fired, like, and probably multiple times throughout your career. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that a lot of other professions are that way. So that's, know that in advance, it's probably not quite as hard to deal with. This is an additional question that I got this morning to, to ask. If you were a wrestler, what song would you walk out to? Would it be a Taylor Swift song? Would it be Miley Cyrus? You no, you can't be a wrestler and do that. <laughs> it's not very intimidating. I never did that. We did baseball. Yeah. We did staff baseball. What was your uh, walkout song? My walkout song was, it's right there. It starts with a D. We have to pull Kyle. Not in. a very good SID. You should this. <laughs> one of our baseball players uses the same one. That's why I heard it. So then that's why I knew to make it mine. <laughs> he said, oh, check. So how would the conversation go if you were to sit down with a young 21-year-old Blaine Kiffin? What, what's the most important thing that you would tell or teach him? Don't go to USC because they're going to lose 30 scholarships to your bowl band like a month or two after you're there. <laughs> Even though they told you that wasn't going to happen. Um, I think just slow down in your decision making. Mm. In general, not just that, but um, I just think that everything was just fast. How fast can you get to the top? How much money can you make? You know, and that's all ego-driven. And just slow down, and you'll make better decisions that way. Look, I, I know you don't do these too often, so I want to tell you thank you for taking a little bit of time with us to mm -hmm. do this for Audibles, and I hope we get to do it again okay. somewhere down the road. All right.
What a fun, fun interview, huh? I told you he was going to loosen up towards the end, and, and he did. You can tell on the, the back half, if you will, of the interview, he started to loosen up. So appreciate Link Kevin sitting down with us. The TV episode actually entered September of 21. I think we taped that the summer of 21, if I remember right. I think it was like maybe June or July or something like that. I can't really remember. But uh, I know we taped it in, in the off season. So the TV episode ran in September of 21. So thanks to Zane Warren for jumping on with us as well, giving us his perspective. That was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for listening. I want to remind you, you can watch full episodes of any of these shows. Just uh, check out our YouTube channel, Spirit Media Network. You can check out the playlist there. We have a Roku channel. Just simply search for Audibles with an S on your Roku device. You can download the Roku channel for free and watch episodes there anytime. Special thanks to King's Daughters Medical Center, Mississippi Department of Transportation, and Wendy's. Download the Wendy's app. You can get reward points for your Wendy's orders. So thanks to those folks for really supporting all that we do. So next episode, episode two of Audibles with Jason Scarborough, the podcast, we're going to sit down with the late Mike Leach. This is a special episode now considering what's happened. So you don't want to miss that. So join us for episode two of Audible's The Podcast. So thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next time around. You guys be safe. Hey, while you're at it, attend the church of your choice uh, this weekend. It's always good to be in a house of worship. So you guys be safe out there. Thanks for supporting what we do. And we'll talk to you next time here on Audible's with Jason Scarborough, The Podcast. The Podcast.